Exodus uh, 2, 23 to 25. Now it came about in the course of many days that the king of Egypt died, and the sons of Israel groaned, sighed, and moaned because of their bondage, because of their laborious work, and they cried out, and their cry for help ascended to God. So God heard their groaning. God remembered his covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. God saw the sons of Israel, and God knew them. Um, there is a pattern in Scripture for how God brings deliverance, great deliverance, how God advances his covenant agenda, how God furthers the revelation of who he is, and how God um, gets married to his people. Because um, the marriage of God to his people isn't just a New Testament theme, it's, it's also found in the, in the Old Testament as well. Um, so as we think about this, this, we started out talking about the 10 days vision and, and meditating on this phrase, Babylon refuses to mourn, but my people will mourn before I return. So what does it mean to mourn? You know, I think we've talked a little bit about how mourning is what you, you mourn about what you lack and what you've lost. So it's about what you don't have. But mourning is also related to um, affliction, persecution. Um, in other words, ex there's, there's a kind of mourning that comes from looking inward, like nothing else is happening outside of you. But you look inward and you realize what you've lost, what you lack. There's a kind of mourning that comes when, you know, other people are persecuting you, right? <laughs> uh, people are afflicting you. Um, and it releases this, biblically there's this whole net, network of words around it, but it releases this groan and this cry. And the cry impacts God. It's, it's the way that he's set up to time his movements. It's, it's interesting. Like God responds to the cry. And so it doesn't negate his sovereignty in any ways. We're going to see it, it, it fits perfectly, but that's the chosen means that he's ordained. And it says here that, that four things happen when God hears this cry. Keep in mind this affliction has been going on for quite some time. Maybe Greg and I were talking about it last night. It, it, probably at least, you know, uh, 40, 50 years. And then God is going to respond by bringing Moses into the picture. But then it's going to be 80 years more of this cry going up before the deliverance actually happens. Um, so when, when there's a cry, this is what happens. God hears it, all right? So hearing here doesn't mean like, of course, God knows everything, right? But it means he hears it in such a way as to respond. Like, I heard you, and I'm moving to respond to your voice. Um, he remembers his covenant. Well, you know, 
What does that mean? Like God didn't forget his covenant, did he? No. Like remembering here, do you know how as a human being you can only focus on certain things, but you, you know, there's other things that will come up in your, you know, in your knowledge, things you know, but things you don't, you're not paying attention to, right? So, um, in remembering his covenant, that's like saying God brought, oh, of course he remembered, he knew about the covenant, but it's like he brought the covenant up to the fore and started focusing on it. Does that, does that make sense? Just the same way that you have all kinds of things you know, like I know how to um, multiply, I know my multiplication tables, right? But I'm not remembering them right now. I'm yeah, thinking about this. So when it says God remembers, it's like God is bringing that into focus. Um, he's putting it on the front burner. It says God saw the children of Israel. So he begins to focus once again. He begins to turn his attention to them because of this cry. And then it says God knew them, right? Isn't that cool? That's that Hebrew word yada like to intimately know. It's like when Jesus says, depart from me, I never knew you, right? Obviously, he knows all kinds of things about that person. He knows who that person is, but he didn't know them, right? And so here God responds, and he begins to know the children of Israel. And immediately after this, happens, God goes and, and, and grabs Moses and appoints him as a deliverer. So the characteristics of the cry. This is the cry that God responds to. This is the mourning piece, part of the mourning piece of my people will mourn before I return. So maybe I just step back and say that. The reason we're looking at this is that it's a biblical pattern that repeats and it's awesome to learn from the past, but we're learning about it because it's gonna affect us in our own lives. There's gonna be multiple instances of this happening. It's gonna be a pattern that repeats, but the big picture part of it is that this is part of the pattern before the Lord returns, right? So that's kind of the culminating example of this pattern. So what are some characteristics of the cry? It comes forth because of oppression, injustice, and suffering. There's some other related words there for me it's helpful to know like words that go together because they you know especially in hebrew you get a lot of this where you you use two or three words to describe the same reality but it's like overlapping spheres the the words are kind of like getting a different perspective so there's different words here that are characteristic of the cry but it's the same reality um the cry has an involuntary component right so it's not just something you decide, oh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to release the cry. There's, there's an element of agreeing with it, but there's also an element of where it's forced on you, right? I mean, childbirth is a great example of this, right? In childbirth, what often happens is a woman will cry out. But it's not like she's fighting it, but she's also, something's happening to her that's causing this to come forth. Or, you know, when guys are in the gym, right, they're lifting weights, right? It's like, whoa, you're grunting as you're straining and exerting yourself. 
And so the cry is similar. It's like we get to the limit of what we can stand um, in following God, and then this cry comes forth. The cry can come from people, individuals. Um, it can come from righteous people. God will respond to a cry from unrighteous people. This is cool. Ahab, you know, the, the prophet, um, after he killed uh, Naboth and stole his vineyard, the prophet came to him and, like, brought this judgment prophecy. He humbled himself. He fasted for three days. And God was like, did you see how Ahab responded to that? I'm going to not bring this evil in his lifetime. This is like one of the most evil people in the Bible. And that's how God responded to this cry that came out of him. I just think that's cool. Um, nations can, ha like, can have a cry. Um, we see that in the Exodus, the nation of Israel. The blood can cry out, right? The blood of Abel, the blood of Jesus speaks. Innocent blood speaks. And the blood is always tied to the land. So it's like the blood and the land can cry out. Um, sin cries out. Sin makes a noise. We talk about pollution in the natural, but like there's pollution in the spirit as well that impacts the earth. Um, so sin cries out to God. Um, the land, the earth, and then the whole create. We read in Romans eight, the whole creation is crying out. So at some level, the whole creation is under this cry, and there's this cry for release that's coming from the whole, the whole of creation, this cry because of oppression. Um, I give, um, so the reasons for the cry, oppression, injustice, suffering, affliction, pain, persecution, tribulation, trial, misery, bondage, labor, like heavy labor. Um, and then the cry comes with all this whole other network of words that are related to it. Um, when you read the Psalms, you know, you'll see so many Psalms that are just this cry to God. Um, and the cry is what moves God to intervene. This is part of what he's looking for um, to begin to enact a deliverance. We were talking about this a little bit yesterday, and I said, Maybe it was two days. I can't remember. Everything's blurring together. But I said something about, like, pay attention to areas where you feel frustrated because that's an area. The reason you feel frustrated is that that's an area where God's about to bring a breakthrough, right? So that's the cry. That's an example of the cry. You're like, oh, this is, I'm feeling afflicted in this area. Why? You know, and that cry, I'm lacking here. Oh, God. Like, why is this happening? That cry is actually bringing an answer. Does that make sense? So there are whole books of the Bible that are built around this principle, which is cool. It's just so core to the scriptures. The book of Judges is entirely built around this concept. There are 12 instances where this happens, um, where Israel will sin, um, and then oppression comes from enemies. The oppression releases a cry in the people, and then God sends a deliverer, and then there's peace. So you don't have to sin to be oppressed or to suffer. Thank God, right? <laughs> that's not a requirement, but that just that's one of the ways that oppression can come, and that's the pattern of the book in Judges. Um, second Chronicles, the second half, is all built around this same concept. So 
If you read the book, there's one story after another. Sometimes in 2 Chronicles, Israel's sin leads to them being oppressed and afflicted. Sometimes they're innocent, and God's enemies just hate them, right? Um, so every time people hate you, it doesn't mean that you've like done something wrong. That's good to know. Um, there's affliction, oppression, invasion, some kind of uh, threat, some kind of difficulty, and then there's a cry that comes forth from the people. In Second Chronicles 7.14, this language of humble yourself, pray, seek my face, and turn from wicked ways is paradig paradigmatic for the whole book. And so every time they'll respond in one of those ways or more than one of those ways, and God will bring deliverance, and then peace will follow. Um, we see this, we can see this in our own more modern history, right? Um, in the United States, um, the black slaves in the U.S. really identified with Israel and coming out of slavery, right? That was a key part of their narrative because they were like, we are oppressed and afflicted. So over 250 years, there was a cry that went up, right, of oppression, God brought a great deliverance, and it came at a great cost to those who were oppressing them and those who were complicit. Still to this day, it's the bloodiest war that America has ever been in. And then there was a season of peace. When you get into the weeds on this, it's, in, it's clear that God's hands were all over this, um, this war, the Civil War, and this deliverance. Um, Abraham Lincoln, the 13th Amendment is the amendment that says they're, like, you can't have slaves in the United States. And this was a big deal for us because our Declaration of Independence enshrined these God-given rights to life and liberty, right? And so to declare there's a universal human right to liberty and then deny it to a group of people, like was, we were just contradicting ourselves big time, right? And um, Lincoln had a dream that led to the passing of the 13th Amendment, which abolishes slavery. The dream was basically that the ship of state would have no rest until this happened. And so even though politically it made no sense to push for this, um, and everyone said it couldn't be done, everyone said, wait till the war is over, he knew prophetically from this dream that he had to end it first and then the war would end. Isn't that interesting? And um, if you watch the movie Lincoln, it's all built around this story. That's where I, I learned it from just a secular movie. But you can see that the Lord's in it. From his second inaugural address, um, if we shall suppose American slavery is one of those offenses which in the providence of God must needs come, which having continued through his appointed time, he now wills to remove and that he gives to both North and South this terrible war as the woe due to those by whom the offense came, shall we discern therein any departure from those divine attributes which the believers and a living God always ascribe to him. Fondly do we hope, fervently do we pray that this mighty scourge of war may speedily pass away. Yet if God wills that it continue until all the wealth piled by the bondsmen, bondsmen's 250 years, of unrequited toil shall be sunk, and every drop of blood drawn with the lash shall be paid 
by another drawn with a sword, as was said 3,000 years ago. So it still must be said, the judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. Um, how, about, how about the Holocaust? There's this prophecy out there that Israel is going to return from all the nations to their land. And then there's an antichrist-type figure who rises up in Germany, who blames the Jews. It's just like the Exodus. He blames the Jews for the problems. He's afraid of them. He rounds them up. He enslaves them. And then he systematically begins to kill them. This releases a cry, right? Even the word holocaust means a whole burnt offering. It's a reference to like that sense of like a, you know, this sound going up to heaven, this offering going up to heaven that's fully consumed. And then God brought about a great deliverance for the Jewish people, taking them from that extreme all the way from the extreme of almost being exterminated into this fulfillment of a prophetic promise that was made thousands of years ago. It's pretty intense. And God judged Germany, right? They had, I mean, the German nation was crushed. It was destroyed. It was turned to rubble. The Allies, you know, demolished it. They're still dealing with the fallout from World War II in Germany, you know? Even though they've recovered economically, they're still dealing with what the ramifications of that. And the nation was even divided and split in two. Um, so this... It's a pretty amazing pattern that we see in Scripture and that we can see in our own lives and that we can see um, throughout history. So I want to take a deep dive into the Exodus because I believe this Exodus story is like a paradigm for the end times. Just as, you know, in the, in the book of Revelation, you'll see many references to the Exodus. You'll see like plagues coming, right? just like in the Exodus. You hear the song of Moses and the Lamb. So it's the song of the Lamb, but it's also the song of Moses that he sang after this great deliverance. And so the book of Exodus and the deliverance from Egypt is like to and parallel to our deliverance and our, our transition from this age into the age to come. Does that, does that make sense? And it's a, it's a covenant advance, just like for Israel... It was a covenant advance for them to move from, you know, the patriarch era into the era of the law, right? What a huge shift and change. And to become constituted as a nation in their own land. Like, they had, they had been promised this land, but they had never possessed it. So what a huge shift for them. What an advancement of the covenant. And similarly, it's going to be a huge shift in advancement of the covenant for us to go from this age into the age to come and where, where Jesus is visibly ruling and reigning, right? It's going to, I mean, that's like, you know, for them, but for them, I'm saying it was the same kind of thing. They're just like these tribes. They know like Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob are their father, they know something about it, but they don't know much, and they don't have the law, and they don't have a national identity, and they don't have a homeland. And then they're going to go in this period from being slaves into having their own nation. It's going to be an incredible shift, having their own law.
So in, in response to the cry, this is the first thing God does. He, he goes in. So after Exodus 2, he goes in Exodus 3 to Moses. Um, and he says once again, I have seen the oppression of my people. God sees oppression. It moves him to act. And I've heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sorrow. I know their pain. Right? It's like the pain is speaking to God. The oppression is speaking to God. The cry is speaking to God. And so I've come down. This is kind of a cool little thing. He says, I'm coming down. Does that sound like the return of the Lord, right? <laughs> like I'm coming down. And then I'm going to bring them up. So it's this like cool, like I'm coming down and I'm going to bring them up. But it's interesting all of a sudden you hear it's not just, he's not just going to set them free. You start to get this sense that God has more in his heart um, than just deliverance from oppression. The cry of affliction, the cry goes up because of affliction, um, but we start to see God doing new things. Like he's revealing his name as I am, as Yahweh, which he's never done before. So there's a greater glory and a greater revelation of who he is in response to the cry. And then he's also advancing the covenant. He's going to bring them into the promised land. So the children of Israel are not thinking to themselves, I want to know God more. And, oh, I, I want the promises of God to be fulfilled. That's not what they're thinking. They're thinking, this is horrible. Help. Like, my children are being thrown in the river. I'm forced to do slave labor. Help. That's what they're thinking. But God is using their cry as an excuse in a way not only to deliver them from that, but to advance his own agenda. Does that make sense? Um, so I, I thought it was funny reading in Exodus 3.18, because God says, go to Pharaoh and ask if you, they can go and worship. And I'm like, well, that's like a pre... He's like picking a fight with Pharaoh. You know, you, do you ever want to get in a fight with someone? Right? And you're like, what can I use to get in a fight? Like, people do this all the time. We do... I mean, I'm, I've done this before. I can't think of an example right now, but, you know, you're like... I'm upset. I want to get in a fight. What, what can I do? Maybe, you know, maybe with like your wife, if she's done something to you and you're like, well, we're going to have a fight. Maybe I'll think of something that I know annoys her. You know, ah, here we go. Sorry, maybe I should do this more confess conf confession than I. Help me, Jesus. You guys have never done that, so I'm not worried about it. But, but God, you know, is seeking, you know, he's seeking an occasion with Pharaoh, right? He wants to get in a fight with him. And if, when I first read it, I'm like, oh, he's just using this as like a pretext, as an excuse. But it turns out, he says, oh, let my people go so they may worship me for three days. And of course, God wants more than three days. But that's actually his big agenda, right? It is a pretext. He is picking a fight. But his real big agenda is that they would go and worship him. So Moses, this is, a, this is an interesting principle of the cry as well. Moses' initial approach to Pharaoh makes the oppression worse and increases the cry, right? So a lot of times when God starts to move to fix something, it gets worse first. <laughs> You'll see this happen, I, I promise. Um, but so Pharaoh increases his oppression, but that increases the cry and then in turn, it's increasing God's self-revelation of what he's doing. Um, 
And in Exodus 6, we see God lay out this plan. Like, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to judge Pharaoh proportionately. It's going to be reciprocal to the way he's oppressed you. I'm going to oppress him. Um, God is saying, he gives this fuller revelation. He's like, and in the midst of it all, I'm going to get glory for my name. I'm going to glorify my name. You're going to know who I am, and my enemies are going to know who I am. And also, he brings up this point that there's, he's doing it so that he can take Israel as his wife. Right? That's new. Um, so this is cool. Just as Pharaoh has put God's people under a strong hand, God is going to put Pharaoh under a strong hand, under oppression. And he's going to drive out the people by force. Like, he doesn't want to let Pharaoh do it on his own. He's like, I'm going to force him to do it because he's been forcing you. Um, he's going to reveal his name in an unprecedented way. And then it says, um, yeah, he's going to do these four things. He's going to bring Israel out from under the burdens of Egypt. He'll rescue Israel from slavery, bondage. He's going to redeem Israel, which is kinsman redeemer language. That's also often can be marriage language. And then he says, I'm going to take Israel as my own people, which is marriage language, and I'm going to be their God. So, Israel's afflicted, and God's like, I'm going to marry you. That's, that's how he's like, I'm not only going to deliver you, I'm going to reveal my name, and then I'm going to marry you. In the end times, all right? Anyone f tracking with me here? Like, that's what's going on. The people of God are under affliction, but we know more now. We can actually agree with all of these elements, right? Even as we've been doing in worship and prayer. We're not like the Israelites with a very limited revelation of God. We have more, like we can partner with him, like, Lord, release your glory on the earth. Lord, uh, we can have a cry that's longing for the wedding, that's longing for his glory, and that's longing to be released from affliction all at the same time, all of those things. Um, so those are the three big things that are on God's covenant agenda, deliverance, revelation of his name, and um, taking Israel, and also judgment on Egypt. I mean, he's... He's mad. <laughs> He's angry about what they've been doing. Um, yeah, so this is kind of cool. Pharaoh, as these plagues are coming and this judgment are coming, he refuses to cry out, right? It says Babylon, like that word, Babylon refuses to mourn. Pharaoh's in the same place. He's like, I'm not going to cry out to God. He says, Moses, could you maybe pray for me? Which is like a, a less, I mean, prayer is, is good. It's like he's, there's some acknowledgement of God. But compared to a cry, prayer is like, you know, I would say a lower level. It's not as intense. God promises that his final judgment will release a cry from Egypt, a great cry such as has never been heard. Which then happens, and it's when this great cry is released from Egypt like to the cry that they were forcing from the Israelites, that Pharaoh lets, the, lets them go. So it doesn't happen until there's this cry. Does that, does that make sense? Just in the kind of the, the reciprocal judgment. There's a few areas where there's this reciprocal judgment. I'm just going to list some of them. Pharaoh put Israel under bondage, forced them to work, gave them no freedom. Do you notice God does the same thing to Pharaoh? He hardens his heart. 
and he forces him. He lays affliction on him. He puts a strong hand on him. It's, it's all the same language. It's like, you did this to my people, now I'm going to do it to you. Egypt afflicted Israel, causing them to cry out. Now God's judgment causes Egypt to cry out. Um, Egypt plundered Israel f- through forced labor. Israel plunders Egypt as they leave, right? The Egyptians are bringing them all their stuff. Just get out of here. Here's all our gold. Um, yeah, Egypt afflicted God's firstborn. Now God afflicts the firstborn of Egypt. Pharaoh threw the Israelite sons in the river. God throws the Egyptian sons into the sea. And just as Moses was saved through the water as a forerunner, so the entire nation gets rescued through the water. Um, and then we find out here in Exodus 12 that, oh, by the way, this is exactly to the day according to God's prophetic timetable. Cool. And then it brings forth, God's deliverance brings forth this other kind of cry that's involuntary that is this song. Isn't that like, so it's not a cry of affliction anymore, it's a song of deliverance, but they're parallel concepts. Does that make sense? All right. So, yeah, yeah, because there was like, there was prophetic words about when God would deliver Israel because God had already told Abraham, like, it's going to happen like this. And so then as they're getting delivered, there's this little footnote almost in the middle of it, like, oh, by the way, this was exactly 430 years after. And so that's, that's what it's pointing out is like, oh, by the way, this happened exactly on schedule. <laughs> but it wasn't. The point is, like, it's not in, like God's sovereignty isn't independent of the, particip- like the participation of, our pe- of his people. Right? And in this case, their participation was releasing this cry. It's kind of intense. So at the end of the age, um, the same principles hold, truth, hold true. We are not passive participants in the return of the Lord. Amen? But there's a cry that's going to come from the church. It's going to be because of affliction in part, right? We, we see that. We feel that even now, even in the midst of this age, there is persecution, affliction, etc. at some level um, that we all have experienced. People speaking ill of us because of Jesus. There's, there's a level of affliction, um, but it's going to increase. We read about that clearly in scriptures that it's going to increase before the Lord's return. Why is that happening? Well, it's part of how, it's part of the dynamic of how God moves. It's part of his economy of how he brings deliverance. That's why it's happening. Um, but we can also be desiring for the manifest glory of God to be revealed. We can be crying out for that from hunger, not from affliction, but the, like, these are all kind of getting tangled up and empowering each other. And we can also be crying out for the wedding. Does that, does that make sense? Like We can engage in all three of those we don't have to be like the Israelites who are just afflicted. We can be afflicted and lovesick and just longing for the revelation of his glory, longing for more of him. We can be all of those things. Um, so listen to this passage. I'm just going to read this from Romans 8 in, in mind of keeping in mind the pattern we've just looked at in Exodus. For I consider the sufferings of this present time 
are not worthy to be compared with the glory, the greater revelation that is to be revealed in us. For the anxious longing of creation waits eagerly for the revealing of the sons of God. The creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself also will be set free from slavery, right? To corruption, into the freedom of the glory of the children of God. We know the whole creation groans and suffers with the pains of childbirth. The whole creation, not just us, until now, and not only this, but also we ourselves, having the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan, waiting eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our body. In hope we've been saved, but hope that is seen is not hope. Who hopes for what he already sees? But if we hope for what we do not see with perseverance, we eagerly wait for it. The Spirit also helps us in our weakness, right? It's involuntary. It's like a, it's not under our will entirely. We don't know how to pray as we should. We don't know how to release this cry, but the Spirit himself intercedes with us with groanings too deep for words. Yeah. So that's the pattern of how God brings deliverance in Scripture, and that's part of how we're going to see uh, that's the pattern of how we're going to see deliverance as, as we approach the time of the Lord's return. And that's a pattern that you can incorporate into your life in, in kind of many, you know, many deliverances, right? Not the big, huge deliverance of Christ's return, but many deliverances where, God, I'm being, this is afflicting me. There's a cry. But then it, it, that cry brings a deliverance gives us more knowledge of God, reveals his glory, and brings us closer in relationship to him. Does that, does that make sense? So Lord, I just thank you for uh, this biblical pattern. I've loved getting to study this and see this. Lord, we thank you that you are moving to judge um, the powers, the principalities, the world systems that are oppressing your people. Lord, we thank you that you are hearing our cry we pray that our cry may ascend before you and that you would come quickly, Jesus. Lord, teach us how to cry out in affliction. Teach us how to cry out for your glory. Teach us how to cry out with lovesick longing for your coming, Lord, we pray for that wedding. In Jesus' name, amen.